you're listening to Pardon the Disruption with your host, Tom Young. Hi, everybody. This is Tom Young. Let's go around the room. This is Bart Gallo. This is Karen Boshua. This is TJ Young. And this is Rohan Kapoor. Hi, Awesome. Ryan. Thanks, everybody. Hey, TJ. <laughs> hey, today we're going to have a conversation around the term of art uh, called the attention economy. And we have been in discussions as a group around what happens in a post-digital world, around we've used the term the experience economy and other things like that. But today, as we shift in this digital war between applications and life, the fight in the digital wars is around people's attention, getting eyeballs. So we listened to a great TED Radio Hour episode that was from this spring, from May 25th, entitled Attention, Please. And it really laid out some of the perverse incentives that a lot of digital media has around uh, grabbing attention as their economy. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about sort of the dysfunction of the current business models. And really, the attention economy really then drives the notion of the scarce resource that we have is time. I think the best example that people can probably grasp with is how Instagram is, have, has changed over the past year. So if you're an Instagram user, you've had an account for over a year, you've noticed that the feed itself has kind of manipulated uh, itself so that whenever you check it, it's always a little bit different. You so can kind DJ, of notice how, how is it different? So I've had, I guess, when did Instagram get big? A couple years ago? Three years ago? Yeah, maybe three or four years yeah. ago. I, I wasn't using it back then, but I know they've, as you said, they changed something about the algorithm where it's It used kind to of be a, like just mo most recent. Chronological. Chronological. Based on who you followed. So a right. chronological feed of whoever you're already following. Right. And then they switched it, and it's, it was a couple iterations of this, but it looked like they... Uh, made it so that the people with the, the most likes or the most comments would get ranked higher on your feed. So that even if it's maybe older, it might be ranked a bit higher. And now it's at the case where they know exactly which posts you've actually already seen. Even if you haven't interacted with them, if, this, if the post has gone past your screen, if you close the app, go check your mail, uh, turn off your phone, go back to it a second later, it'll be a, a new feed and it'll be you'll be hard-pressed to find another photo in there that you haven't seen before. Right. That's the key, that closing the app when, when you open it again triggers an entirely new set of curated Right, so content. it's fully refreshed, mm -hmm. right? So even if it's there's other new content out there, it'll, you'll, it'll find older stuff that you haven't seen. So they keep tweaking it to keep you engaged with new content, even if it's old. Right, and they've success. They're far more engaging than all of the other social media platforms uh, right. on all of the analytics they use to track that. So what? So what really changed? Because I, I've played around with Instagram. I, I wouldn't call myself a user, and uh, to me, and I'm, I'm going to say from the old guy's chair, it's just a bunch of pictures with captions. So to summarize, when you if you close Instagram and go yeah. back to it five minutes later, yeah. it'll be a whole new feed. I it won't be were, the same feed with some new posts. Yeah, they were they were trying to, they looked at the problem of when people post, the frequency of, you know, the frequency that they were posting at, if someone posted a picture three times a day, four times a day, those pictures would come to the top of your feed just based purely on frequency. And then they started to look at that and said, well, does that make sense? Just because someone's posting a lot, does it make sense that that is what you're going to see. They came to the conclusion, no, it doesn't. A smarter way to do it is 
what kind of content and pictures, regardless of frequency, are you going to be most interested in? And let's build an algorithm around that to serve you that type of content. So now you're no longer seeing your grandma, you may post five, six times a day. You may not see her content necessarily. You'll be served other content based on what you've been looking at, how long so you've the, been So the goal time. that Instagram, who's owned by Facebook, is trying to achieve here is to get you to engage with Instagram more than you did before. Correct. Now, in the feeds, they're, they're, they're inserting advertising or promoted, promoted Instagram. Is that fair? Yep. How they're doing it? Mm -hmm. And how is that? How's that experience? How is it? Yeah. Do you find it useful? Is it annoying? Uh, is it something you scroll over? It's something you scroll over. Uh, what, what I've noticed now is that they're being more transparent, I think, just because of regulations around... Uh, hey, this is an ad, or hey, this is a uh, a paid or sponsored post. I think what is the actual term when you actually you follow somebody and they're posting something with a product? There'll be a little tag now saying, "Hey, this is a paid partnership." It's yeah. very explicit. It's very explicit. Yeah. Now. Um, but I think they do such a good job in curating products that you might want to buy. I agree. And things you want to see that I, I I like it. I mm -hmm. like the links. Yeah. With they're very relevant stores that are similar to stores that I've shopped at before that have a picture of an item I might even like based on items I've previously bought, and then it has the shop now link, and you trigger right out to mm -hmm. a different website. But yeah. you stay within Instagram when you go to the site. So when you're done. You're back in Instagram. They keep you there. Yeah, yeah, of course. So Bart, do you uh, do you click on the cat video link and won't watch cat videos? Uh, if it looks like a good cat video, and if there's something <laughs> I can buy at the end, I think isn't I think, there like a, a cat TV channel? That's all they do is show cute videos of cats. I think that's eighty percent of the internet. <laughs> yeah, that's most of the traffic. <laughs> I think I think it's uh, the interesting thing around this. Uh, how obviously Instagram's uh, evolved and adapted that algorithm to get you to stay on their platform for longer, get you to have eyeballs on it longer. And these algorithms, uh, I guess from my perspective, the worrying thing is when you look at platforms like YouTube, the algorithms they've created are purely there to keep you hooked and keep you on the platform. And therefore, they don't take into consideration, they don't care what they're serving you, they just care they're serving you something that's relevant. So, you know, if you, as many people I'm sure listening here in the room as well, you spend hours on YouTube sometimes and you end up down a rabbit hole and the content they serve you and what videos are coming up next tend to start to get a little more extreme where you know, you start looking at something scientific and you end up on a conspiracy theory around how the moon landing's faked. And I think the, the TED Radio Hour touched on it. So it's like there's obviously a very, uh, there's a danger here that people... Um, by giving these platforms their attention and feeding into this kind of algorithm, the content they then get served is seeping into their brains and changing their perspectives and beliefs. And we've seen this in the election and things like that. Right. That's that's the worrying thing from my perspective. And um, I don't know if there's anyone, you know, really holding these guys accountable. So we're thinking about the the, the all these companies like Facebook, uh, Google with YouTube, and others are are vying for your attention. And as we talked about in one of our previous podcasts around digital exhaust, free services like Instagram, Facebook, uh, are even YouTube, right? You're the product. So they're trying to hook you for as long as possible. And so when we talk about sort of the the, the flip side of the coin, which is the the negative side of this attention economy, how how can people 
Because at some level, you only have so much time. And you, you find yourself down that rat hole looking at cat videos and fake moon landing uh, because they, they sucked you in with something equivalent of clickbait. But at some point, we're going to want to start to put users in control and let them control their own time and be thoughtful about how you use these digital tools to manage your time to get the best experience. Karen, we talked a lot about that. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely. And um, one of the things that Rohan and I were actually talking about earlier is, um, you know, there is such thing as obviously the grayscale, which some of us are using to help manage that. So explain a little bit about the grayscale. What is that? So I think effectively what the grayscale does is allow you to switch your iPhone um, to pretty much black, white, gray tones so that you're no longer getting... Did you do it? Yeah, I have done and, it. And, and, and what's been the effect? It's awesome. You're not captivated by the bright colors. Right. And going back to Instagram, which is a place where that plays the most, um, you no longer get hooked into um, the desires of, oh my God, the vivid colors. And, you know, two, three hours later, you're still on your phone. So is it safe to say that when you switch to the, the gray tones or the black and white on your iPhone, that you felt that you were less controlled by the phone and more the phone was a tool that you could use? Exactly. Yeah. And you're not into the engagement as much. It's, it doesn't pull you and draw you in as much as it does when it's on full um, bright colors. Yeah. I think we're, the, we're probably not discussing societally the impact of the brain chemistry on all of these inputs. Yeah. Um, and also, um, why are more companies not doing stuff like that? Uh, more ways to actually, um, you know, they're they're kind of sucking you in and, and drawing you in. But it would be also nice to see more things such as grayscale, this kind of design thinking around products that also um, help you to use technology in a more effective way, still engage with it, but be more responsible. I think it's a broader issue with advertising and media consumption, right? So what I'm looking forward to is maybe an awareness here and a turning point so that there's more paid services, because as long as it's perceived by the user as free, they're going to measure success of their algorithm design, of the UI design, of the colors they use on the screen based on what? They're optimizing for clicks, impressions, because they answer to the advertisers. It will stay that way as long as they answer to them. If you pay for a product, like, oh, Facebook's free, I have to pay $10 a month now, but you are now the only person that uh, is in control. They're accountable to you as opposed to the advertiser. I think they're not going to go grayscale. They won't employ those methods because who who are going to be the first people complaining? I, do you think we're going to get to a point where the the insertion of advertising to subsidize a service all the way to making it free is going to be viewed highly negatively? Right. Exactly. Yeah. I so, think so. So think of today. Like I, I I am a consumer of Netflix. There's no advertising on there. There could be show promotions. But there's no, as far as I'm aware of, no economic incentive by Netflix to promote one show over another. Uh, they may promote their own stuff to promote their brand in terms, of, but they have decent content. But you're getting a subscription fee for that. And so, to me, uh, as soon as they start to introduce advertising, now I'm wa I'm wondering when they present the things that I might want to watch. I'm wondering what's the incentive? Who's being paid for that attention? It's an interesting thought because this is a whole notion of going back to paid service. 
if you're using a product for free, you are the product, and you're not going to be getting the things that maybe are important to you. I mean, it's it's. I fully agree. It's just scary. I, I physically feel the the uh, the higher force in the pull when I t- put my phone down. I, when I open up my phone, I check Instagram instantly. Like it, 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 like I feel the pull of it coming me, and I just check the same things over again. And I'll, I'll notice it, and then I forget about it again. Check it later. I'll forget my learning. Like oh, I'm just a slave to Instagram. I'll forget that two <laughs> seconds later. Check it again. Yeah, and, and the craziest part of that is I, I don't. I don't really post very, you know, oh, I, I have like never. six posts a year yeah. and I'm still on there basically daily in, in the same sort of way, just kind of looking for, you know, that next curated set of well, content because I, I know it's going to be unique and something right. I haven't seen. Yeah. One of, one of the software engineers, I think, in uh, Facebook um, came out and basically, I mean, these guys have built their platform purposefully to hit dopamine receptors, you know, at some point it's kind of, it's almost like, I mean, it is an addiction. So if it, if it is an addiction and it is going to have potentially negative consequences, then something definitely needs to be done because some people can't control. Uh, I don't know how many people are actually aware. I think most people probably are aware that it is an addiction and that it's actually having a chemical influence on them. But there may be a whole bunch of people who aren't. So TJ, when you log in and you say I have to check Instagram instantly, why? Do you examine no, why? No, there's, there's no thought process. I open my phone and Instagram is open. So it's automatic. Huh. A very it's, it's gotten that bad. It's time. A very interesting experiment, uh, which they actually talked about on the Attention Please podcast. Uh, was I think it was a psychologist um, or associate professor of the University of Miami. Uh, she was saying try deleting the app because yeah. beha- from a behavior <laughs> yeah. perspective, uh, um, our thumb just goes to a certain place on the app and you're clicking it open. And all of a sudden, if you take that behavior away, it would be interesting to see how you kind of react to it or move the, I mean, yeah, it, uh, that was her thing. And I was like, actually, yeah, it's so simple. Why not just delete it for a period of time? And if you want it back, two weeks later, bring it back, but see how your life actually improves without it. So for example, I've been off of Instagram for probably a year now. So consciously as an experiment, I was like, I just want to get off of all social media. Do you miss it? No. What do you plug your time with? So I, what the hell do you do? (laughs) How do you like stalk everyone's vacation? Uh Yeah. So I, I, the thing I do miss it for definitely is, um, the vacation stuff uh, when we're going places it would be nice to look at the hashtag uh, on a recent trip to Japan it would have been cool to see oh what are the neat places in Tokyo but beyond that I don't miss it at all because I spent most of my time even if it was five minutes it's 45 minutes so what takes your attention now because that's probably the biggest thing that takes most people's attention. Well, it's interesting because in the even so in the evenings before I go to bed and right first thing in the morning are probably the times by default that you just naturally spend on your phone. Uh, Now, I do still spend time on my phone, but I'm actually reading stuff. So researching different articles, um, looking at stuff that, you know, maybe I watched as a follow up. I'm reading up on it. Um, So I'm still engaging with the technology, but in a very different way. There was this book called The Shallows, and you got to keep me honest here on the author that you, sh- you had showed me a while mm-hmm. back around how consuming content in that way, it's kind of like the the tweet versions of information, 140 characters or less, will reprogram your brain to not be able to, or at least be less attracted to long-form content like that, 
where you're just like, I, I'm bored instantly. What's the next post? I can only read two sentences. And it actually changes your brain structure. Right. Foot deep, mile wide was yeah. roughly the language he used, I think. Foot deep, mile wide. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you, who, who was that author? Because I, I, I hate I referencing I'm, something I'm victim, on a podcast. I'm and a then victim not. of this phenomenon. Was, uh, <laughs> so remembering authors' names right, exactly, from a book yeah. we discussed. This is a prime ago. example of it happening. <laughs> the guy's name was Nicholas Carr. Nicholas Carr. He, he yeah. wrote a book called The Big Switch. Uh, uh, or on IT, and then he followed it up with The Shallows, which was a departure from the first book that he's got a lot of success with. But And he talked about how your brain... Think of... Um, you guys all, at some level, played video games over time, right? You, The neuroplasticity, that your brain rewires itself to operate the controls so that you can do a first-person shooter or some kind of a game. You don't even really know, after a while, what your hands are doing. Your brain is thinking it, and your hands are moving it without conscious decision. And for me, when I used to play, when we were um, back in the day, when video game platforms came out, I learned to play it on a certain configuration. And when the configurations changed, they preserved some of the old setups. I think it was called Legacy Southpaw setup. I forget what it was called. But I can't, I can't rewire. I can't do it. I mean, and I just stopped playing. I refused to play. But... Uh, I got to the point where my brain was saying strafe left and shoot and I'm hitting the button and I'm looking up at the ceiling getting my bl- my brain's blown out by some avatar, right? So I just couldn't play anymore. But your brain works that way. So, And what Nicholas Carr wrote in his book is basically saying when you have um, an iPad device or a light square, you know, a phone, computer, anything, it gives you instant gratification of everything. And so you you need that constant dopamine hit of, I want to know the capital of Idaho. Oh, Idaho. I wonder if they have uh, whitewater rafting. Oh, whitewater rafting. Uh, that summertime's coming up. I got to think about a bathing suit. Oh, bathing suit. And you just go on this crazy rant and you find yourself, why am I looking about growing mushrooms in my basement when I was thinking about geography? Spread activation? Yeah. it's That's a spread activation protocol, right? It's uh, But that's... Uh, and he writes that damages your actual damages your brain over the long term, and and I think we don't think of the the how our attention is manipulated either consciously or subconsciously by the advertising and the tools we use and how it affects our brain, not just temporarily but permanently. Do you think the mantle in terms of wrestling back attention of our attention is sits? sits with us because the incentive for the companies who are vying for our attention is never going to be to to help us do that right well i think this th- therein lies the notion that you know we're the t- topic today is the attention economy but i think the the what we're going to pursue as for this post digital world is the experience economy and the experience economy basically i would say this the experience economy you take control you become responsible for taking control of your attention and where you spend your time. Time will be much more important to people than money, especially for the top 10 or 20% of the people. And Karen, we talked a lot about this in terms of how we use digital tools not to allow ourselves to be manipulated like pawns in a game, but how we use the tools to take control of attention to optimize the time that we spend in in the few waking hours that we have. So yesterday, um, Sean and I, who's not here today, we went to visit uh, Starbucks Reserve. So there's two in the United States, um, about four in the world right now. And 
um, talk about the experience economy. So as soon as you enter, uh, they've got a great sign right in the beginning that says uh, something to the effect of welcome um, you know, to the journey to learn about coffee, um, download the app as part of the journey while you're here. And it's about four levels of an entire experience. Um, Where was this? So it just opened on 9th Avenue and 15th Street in Manhattan in the Meatpacking District. Uh, it's a 23,000 square foot space. And they actually roast. It's like a cathedral to coffee. It's mm -hmm. awesome. I mean, they roast the beans in-house. You can see the roasting process. Uh, they've got all these. It's an industrial space. So they've got all this wiring and tubing that's exposed. And you can see the beans running through the pipes. It's no, no ads awesome. on the walls or anything. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's so interesting because the branding is, um, it's not even the typical Starbucks coffee cup. It's all black and it just has a gold R and a star. And it says nothing about Starbucks on the cup. So they, but the hilarious thing is there's a Starbucks across the street. So <laughs> if you don't want to pay six bucks in the reserve, you can walk across the street and get is, your regular is there, is there anything interactive in the... Uh yeah. Um, so you can do, uh, they do coffee flights where you can learn about different techniques um, of of beans that are roasted. Um, so they definitely have like the tasting experience. Mm -hmm. um, also the roasting process itself. Uh, it's kind of done live. So how right would in front you of characterize you. your time when you got, was it a very positive experience? Extremely positive. Yeah. Okay. And it's a great use of time. How crowded was it? Um, it was well, yesterday was a Thursday midday around 3 p.m. Uh, I would say it was crowded, but probably not as jam packed as the weekend's going to be. Right. When did it open? Uh, about two weeks ago. Wow. Mm. And uh, they had uh, apparently when it first opened, they had lines wrapped around the uh, half halfway down the block. People just waiting to get in. Oh, so they limit, they don't, they don't let it jam up. They probably keep people outside. Then. Yeah. yeah and, and they've got a lot of uh, seating and, and they actually have a cocktail bar inside um, as well, uh, where they've got coffee infused cocktails on the third floor. So you, you can sit and spend some time in there. Wow. Hmm. Well, so if you step back and say, okay, well, that, that's pretty cool. It's a, it's a unique, uh, you know, coffee cathedral, if you will. And, and Starbucks has definitely an incentive to do that because of their brand. At some level, taverns are already that for alcohol, right? It's They've turned the drinking of alcohol into an experience, right? Because we talked about this before. I could sit at home and drink for one-fifth the price I could by going to a tavern, yet people go to taverns for that that social aspect of it, right? You, so you probably had fun because it was you and Sean hanging out, but if, versus even more fun because you did that versus going alone. Oh, def definitely. And I think we've talked a lot about uh, how humans kind of crave social interaction. Um, and it's the example that you right. you use quite a lot, right? About why are people willing to pay uh, five bucks for a beer or less uh, rather than sitting home and just getting a 10 pack? It's because as humans, we're, we, we do naturally just mm -hmm. want that interaction. So when we think of the attention economy today, I would say most of us are um, not aware that uh, very valuable companies, some of the top companies in the world, are uh, trading in our attention. And they're monetizing our attention uh, because it, at some level it's valuable. And we're gonna find, as people become more aware of this, that it's important for people to step back and be thoughtful about how they control their attention and take charge of it. And when we wanna talk about 
with Rumjog, some of our post-digital um, conversations or business models, is how can we help people and companies put people back in control of managing their time and attention to their own benefit? As you get older, everyone will realize, especially in the top 10 or 20%, the phrase, you'll run out of time before you run out of money, uh, exists. People, young people don't, tem- don't th- tend to think of it that way. They think of time as limitless and, and monetary resources as limited. But as you go through life, that's, that paradigm shifts. And what we want to be able to do is to, is to educate people on the value of time and how to then uh, use it better. And not, not, not go full Luddite where we turn everything off because that's not practical. But how do we turn these tools that have at some level made us products in this attention economy and how do we then turn them into where we are in control? Just as a plan B, though, I am looking into a bunker in the woods, just in case it all goes <laughs> south. <laughs> yeah, well, we saw we're at about a 25% retrenchment now in the valuations in many of these companies over the past six, eight months. Uh, I think Facebook's probably down 28%, if I'm about right, if I remember the last time I checked. Uh, Amazon less so because they have some retail. But you're seeing... A lot of these companies really um, start to people are starting to question the value of this stuff. I think as we go through into the new year, everyone's going to be rethinking. You know, what am I doing? What's the new year look like? And I think we'll see some probably New Year's resolutions where people are probably backing off, deleting Instagram, or going to the grayscale, or taking things like that. Yeah, and I think it's probably um, some of the reason why we've seen a lot of the uh, mindful. Or apps that are based around mindfulness, um, Headspace, Calm, um, who've got great valuations now, have received tons of funding from Silicon Valley. Uh, it's because people are looking at ways of, you know, how can they take their lives back to some degree. So this is another uh, thing I'd ask people to do listening to this uh, podcast to get a sense of what does this mean? This might be a new to- topic or concept for them. But to think about um, the next time they spend a, a Saturday afternoon, uh, go back and look at how much how, how much did they plan or control the time that they spent versus how much were they controlled by the things around them. And again, that's not all bad. It's not one or the other, but just be mindful of how your time is being managed and to some extent manipulated. I think I would encourage people to go back and listen to the TED Radio Hour and listen to um, some of the people talking about how some of these business models were set up. And, you know, we need to change those business models if we're going to want to see a change in the way our time and attention is manipulated. Anybody else have any parting thoughts? No. Um, I think if anyone uh, hasn't seen it on Netflix, just because it ties to what we're talking about, uh, there's a movie that came out called The American Meme, just covers some figures uh, in the Instagram space who've made a career fully starting and growing themselves on Instagram people being paid several hundred thousand dollars for a single photo. That's awesome. So just to check so that Jordan, out. So Jordan, in the show notes when we do this, let's put the, uh, the TED Radio Hour and we'll put that uh, uh, Netflix movie as well. Mm-hmm. Okay? Great. Also, the grayscale, uh, how you do that. They'll give a little tutorial. I'd like to try that out though, over the holidays. <laughs> Same here. Okay. Great. Well, thanks everybody. Good stuff. I'm going to check Instagram Tom. now. Yeah. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening to the show today. Pardon the disruption. If you enjoyed our discussion, I'd invite you to head over to 
our homepage at www.rumjog.com. You can go there and check out our perspectives page and hear more podcast episodes, read some articles. It's some pretty interesting stuff. You can get access also to our digital disruption series. This is a meetup that we do mostly in New York and New Jersey area where we discuss the impact of these technologies on our society and the way we live and work. We do this alongside of industry experts in various fields like crowdsourcing, automation, and blockchain, uh, the, the, the technologies that are disrupting our world today. Anyway, if you like that, you can also follow us on social media uh, at Twitter on the handle at Rumjog. We look forward to hearing more from you. Thank you.